as many of you know, I was away for two weeks on my summertime off, and uh, <clears throat> they were they were busy but wonderful, spending time with the kids and you know the kids things. And I came back to work um, this week, Wednesday, and the the, the cogs are slowly getting back there. Um, so yeah, for, Father Greg was here for two weeks. I hope that um, yeah, we had a great time with him. He's my mentor and a good friend, and I'm really glad that he was here. Uh, so we kind of had a, maybe we had a hiatus because before I, I left, we were essentially on a little mini series <laughs> discovering what it meant to be the church after uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and after Jesus giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've been asking every Sunday, what does that mean? How do I live that out today? And then we've been bringing those questions to the Sunday readings. And today, the day of days, is the day where we remember, we celebrate the transfiguration of the Lord. And it's a very um, mystical, very, in some ways, odd. If you're not used to the church, the Jesus thing, it's a very odd thing to hear. But a man takes his friends, Jesus, up a mountain, He's praying, and his praying says his clothes like lightning. He's transfigured. He's one thing one moment, and the next moment, something powerful is happening. So powerful that his friends are in fear. See, St. Peter, poor Peter, starts talking. He's basically babbling. The Bible itself tells you in brackets he doesn't know what he's doing. He's terrified. Something momentous is happening. Jesus is showing us something, his friends and us. And it behooves us to understand what that is. Now, this could be a 45 minute sermon. I'm not going to do that today. But a lot could be said. And I guess, but I want us to see, hopefully what we're all seeing, what Jesus is showing us. Two things. I'll give you two. One will be the short one. And one will be the one where we sort of spend time with. The first one is, I think, a reminder. I'm reminding you of something. Jesus is reminding us of something. You see, at this moment, when he comes up the mountain with his friends, he's transfigured, transformed with his bright light. This marks the beginning of the end. Jesus has been with his friends for about three years, teaching them, discussing, sharing, challenging them on the truth of who God is and the fact that he is that God. And if you read the stories of Jesus, his friends often don't understand that. Their categories, their fixed categories of how they interpret the world often prevent them from seeing what Jesus is saying and showing them. Jesus says to them, I'm God, come to you. Hey, look at this miracle. He, does, he heals people. He raises the dead. And his friends are like, yeah, but I don't buy this whole you being God thing. This is very odd. Walks on water, feeds 5,000 with a couple of bread and fish, pumping out his power to try to show them, I'm more than what you see. And you should trust him. And so he goes up to this mountain with his friends, and he begins to pray. And for a moment, his glory is revealed. His holiness and his glory, physical, in a blinding light. Holiness and glory. 
These are words that may be tossed around in Christian spaces. And I think often we don't really know what those mean. What does glory mean? What does it, what does it mean to be holy? Those two words themselves deserve 12 sermons each. We're not going to do that. So we're going to use one word to describe. Those are the two sides of the point, holiness and glory. Think of it as ultimate reality. We understand that things are real and things are less real, right? A photograph of you, in some sense, is less real than you. A photograph captures you in 2D, but doesn't capture your personality, your character, your conversation, right? You are more real than a photograph. If you want to take that thought experiment, that analogy, in the Bible it says that God infuses us with reality. We are real, but God is more real than us. The Bible says that God in his glory on his throne, angels forever fly, dance, and sing around him, saying, holy, 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 here's the Lord God Almighty. They stand in his presence and his glory, and that's what they say. In the Bible, I don't know if you would know this, many things are described as holy. The vessels that are used in the worship of God in the Bible are described as holy vessels. The clothing that the priests wear is described as holy. The people that worship God and they gather around his temple, are, they are the holy people of God. But only God is ever described as holy. Holy, holy. Because only God is God, and we're not. No object, no grandeur of nature, nothing in this world is ever described with the three holies. Because nothing in the created order could ever be co-equal with the creator God, right? That might be easy to agree to, maybe, maybe not. But even when we agree to that, it's very easy to agree with our lips, functionally, we do not agree with our hearts or with our lives. That's what was happening with Jesus' friends. Jesus would say to them, I am God come to you. And they might say with their lips, oh, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But with their actions, they would show an underlying distrust of that claim. There's one part where Jesus says, let's go to this town. Our friend has died. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And his friends are like, hey, you shouldn't go there. There's some people there who want to hurt you. Let's not go there. And Jesus says, we're going to go. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Let's go. And one of his closest friends says, all right, let's go die with Jesus. They've seen him do all his works. And in that moment, they still can't trust him. And I think that's us too. Because Jesus says, I and God come to you. There's no one else beside me. And then they say, yeah, okay, yeah, you're really good. But there's other religions and faiths, so they're true too, right? And Jesus says, what? I am holy, holy, holy. No one stands 
where I stand. No one does what I do. I unmake and I make. I am creator, and nothing stands before me. And that's what Jesus is showing us there. And notice what happens when his foes turn into lightning. What happens? Who stands next to him? Moses and Elijah. For his friends, the greatest prophets and teachers ever to exist. And they stand there next to Jesus. And they converse with Jesus. But it becomes clear to them, because Jesus is showing them that as wonderful as these human teachers are, and they are wonderful, they are not Jesus' equal. There is no human teaching. There is no human individual. There's no politic, no philosophy that is equal to Jesus. He stands alone. And it's only in Jesus that we find the truth and our healing. That's what Jesus is showing us. And that's the short one. That's the easy one. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, probably. It's not a popular idea. We don't share that on cocktail parties. We know that. But it's true. And the challenge for us is to bring that home. Now, depending on where you are on your spiritual journey, maybe... Christianity is not your thing. Or maybe you're new to this faith, but that's a very complicated claim I just made. Not me, really. Jesus. And I want to say to you, that's something that we unpack every Sunday. We can't do it all this morning, but hopefully we stay engaged and in friendship. We can work together to see what that means. But that's something that Jesus is showing us and we can't flinch. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes before God except through Jesus. That's what he's trying to show us. That's the first thing. Now here I'm going to talk to my Christian friends. So if you're not a Christian, God bless you. So glad you're here. We still have the rest of the service. But this one I'm addressing to my friends who are Christian. This is the one that we have to do. Because it's very possible to say, yes, I, I agree. I've thought it through intellectually, you know, either grudgingly or with excitement. Jesus is the only way. And we say it. Affirm it intellectually, analytically. But functionally, it hasn't landed in your heart. Okay? It hasn't landed right here. Because some things we can say, like, but don't actually live our lives. Right? I know, I mean, we all know, but I'll use myself. I know I can't eat double cheeseburgers every day without some real ramifications, right? I do that every day, my heart's going to take a hit. A hit. My lifespan is probably shrinking every time I take a bite, right? And I know that, but I know that, but I still love my number two at days, right? At Wendy's, I know that. I know one thing, but I live a different thing. I'm losing myself. Guys, you have your own things, right? Don't look at me that way. We all have our things. And that's the same with faith. Notice the, the, the reading began Today's gospel says, as Jesus, after Jesus had said these things, whatever that is, then they went to pray. So we're kind of in the middle of the story. Jesus was having a conversation with his friends before he dragged them up the mountain. You see, it's, uh, before that, uh, Jesus had asked his friends, hey guys, who do, you think, who do you think that I am? 
right? After years of trying to tell him, I'm God, he finally is like, okay, so who, after everything you've seen and done, who do you think I am? And Peter, brave, silly, angry Peter, babbling Peter, steps forward. And he says, well, Jesus gave me that. I guess you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the real hero. Everything you've been hoping for is people, thousands of years. You're it. And Jesus says, hey, that's great. Good job. A plus. You got the answer. Let's go up the mountain. And then on the mountain, he see, Peter sees, which he just said that he believed. He sees it, and then he shrinks. Oh, I don't know about this. Trembling. And then he starts giving directions. Right? In the, in the face of what's happening, the lightning plot, everything's going on, two ghosts appear. Hey, let's make two huts. It's good if you stay here, right? Starts giving directions. It's one thing to agree. This is the point. It's one thing to agree intellectually that something may be true. It's the second thing to experience it to be true and let it change your life. They're separate things, right? Unfortunately, this is very common, but I have a friend who uh, was in a, a very serious car accident. Um, she met him today, and he's healthy, thanks be to God. But he had his face, whole half his face is basically one giant scar that goes down. Uh, thank God that the surgery was able to save him, but a lot of glass went through him. He suffered incredible pain. They did a lot of restorative surgery, but it's very, if you met him, it would be very evident. Right? He's not shy about it, but you get in the car with him. And we were, and we were in our, he was a little older than us, but we were in our early 20s and still kind of young and dumb. Get in the car. And you, if you got in the car with him, you'd always see him grab his seatbelt, plug in. Oh, okay, so he's doing that. It sounds silly, but sometimes he probably just wouldn't do it. I don't know why. But he'll plugged in. And if you asked him, he'd tell you. He'd be very eager to tell you. You know, I, uh, well, I was in an accident. I almost ended my life. I always try to make sure I'm as safe as possible in the vehicle. I haven't been in a life or death car accident. You know, I haven't. I know it's true that I should be safe in the car and I should always put a seatbelt. And I do it. But that's an analytic truth for me. But for my friend, he experienced a reality that's transformed that truth. He doesn't just think about it. He knows that truth. And that knowledge, that experience, has changed his life. You don't have to to convince him about being safe in the car. He just does it. For some of us, we know analytically that Jesus is the only way, that he is God, and we must follow him, but it still hasn't been meaning. We are yet to have an existential experience of God. And until you have that experience of God, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with listening to Jesus. You're going to struggle with responding to the word of God. Because it's an analytic truth. That means it's, a, it's advice. It's interesting philosophy. It hasn't changed your life yet. It's not a star, right? It's not something that's rocky. And we need that part. I know that we're all more or less good Anglicans, and so this isn't the comfortable part that we do. We don't talk about experiencing our faith. I get that. 
But on this one, I think Jesus is always takes the lead and we actually have to follow. Right? Because Peter said it. You're the, you're the guy, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, oh, am I? Well, let's see how you deal with that. No. And they are not willing to. He had that experience of Jesus. And it changed his life. It changed his life. He went from there, a young man of maybe 17, eager to prove himself, inflated, uh, sense of importance, proud. Jesus, I'll die for you. Then he had to learn he was a coward. He was too violent. Jesus did not endorse that. Right? And only at the end, the letter we read from him, when he's probably in his 80s, writing his letters, an old man to the church. And then he's saying, this event that we saw on the mountain, that we heard his voice, that he's the son of God, that event has changed my life. It wasn't just about talking with Jesus and having an analytic proposition that I accepted, a belief, a mere belief. It was about experiencing the reality of God. And that made all the difference. It took him from an impetuous youth to a sage, august pastor of the church. Some say the Pope. Right? The first one. We have to come to a place where we experience the reality of God and we listen and follow. Right? So the natural question here, and this is, we're landing the plane. Well, how do we do that? How do we do it? Right? Because maybe Seth, I haven't had that experience yet. How do we get to that, that place? Well, actually, Jesus himself is showing us. And we see at least three things. So these are, this is the application. This is, how, this is the takeaway. How do we get that experience? Number one, prayer. It says, Jesus took his friend up the mountain and then he prayed. And it was in that moment of prayer where the glory of holiness shone through. If you want to have an open door to experience the reality of God, then you must meet God in prayer. That is the place, that is the space where our souls are open and come into contact with God. Prayer. Because prayer is also personal and relational. It's a conversation pouring out of your heart. It's also a place where you hear what God has to say to you in your particularity. What you need to hear. Because right? I know it's very trendy, it's very popular, especially in the community, to say, well, I find God in nature. I just go on these hikes, I go up the mountain, and I see the beauty of nature, and I find God there. That's well and good. You might experience some beauty that God has created, But I'm telling you right now, I can make some excellent fried chicken. You can come over right now. I'll, I'll make it. I'll crush it. Nashville hot, right on your plate. And you can eat that all day. You can say thank you to me. You're not getting to know me. If you want to get to know me, as you're taking the bite, you sit down with me and we're going to have to have a conversation. Of the kind that you speak, I speak, you listen, I listen, right? Eating the chicken is not equal to I know Seth. That takes a conversation. Going out in nature is very wonderful and beautiful. We're blessed to live here. That is not the same as conversing with the living God. That, is, that happens in prayer. Right? I mean, 
shit. We don't have to do that. But you know what I'm saying? You have to talk and you have to listen. Number one, develop a life of prayer. Do it regularly, consistently, every day. If you want to learn more about how to do that, let's get together. You know a little bit. I'm still on the journey. Close to the beginning, but whatever I can share, I'm a resource. Prayer. Number two, notice what Jesus did. He didn't go up the mountain by himself. He went with his friends. Number two, you want to experience the living God community. The pilgrimage, the spiritual journey, is not, 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 there's no lone wolves. God created the church for us to gather, that's one. Also gather regularly to to read the Bible and pray with fellow believers. Be encouraged and challenged by other people. Have people ahead of you in the journey who've gone ahead and share with you. Have people who are a little behind the journey, but are still beginning, pour into their lives. Friendship, community, that's what we need. That's what we're hoping to foster here at St. George's. We're still at the beginning. We're a small church, but we're making it happen. Because we need it. Not just for the photos for the website. We need to hear God's voice, right? We've got to be together. I need you. I can't do this. Is the, this is the thing. I need you. You need me to work together as a community because God shows up in community, right? When Jesus, when God showed up, when Jesus showed up, fam, 12 friends, a group, no lone wolves. All right, that's number two. So we need that to hear God's voice. Prayer, community. Here's the third one. Obedience. Obedience. You know, each, each one of us here has a wealth of wisdom on how life lives, perspectives on how we believe things work. Right? So did Peter. Even in the face of the living God, he says, well, let me, oh, I have some advice and instruction. Jesus, this is what I think you should do. Right? So you start talking to him. And it seems silly, but we do the same thing. We come to the word of God God's word. You say, well, I see that it says this, but actually I think a better idea is if it should be this way. And let's just cross out that verse. And oh, I like this one. Let's just emphasize this one. And start talking to Jesus as if we're equals with him. Oh, I like this, but I don't, I don't like that part. As if it's a thing that we're at the table and we're discussing. Can you imagine my the beautiful little daughter sat at the table? I was like, well, actually, I think the Billy should be paying this. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your advice. So we heard the clean room. You know. It just wouldn't be it. But we act that way. That's why, in the midst of that moment, Peter, the about he's babbling, God's voice, boom. This is my son that I have chosen. Stop talking. Listen to him. He has the authority. Obey him. Now that's true. There are a lot of things that we're willing to obey God on because we happen to agree, right? When Jesus says, God says, hey, don't do violence. Don't do violence. Like, oh yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, glad to obey. You know, protect the orphan and the widow. Oh yeah, of course. Give for 10% of your earnings to the temple. Hmm. Have no other gods but me. Right? Well, I don't agree, Jesus. But Jesus isn't asking for you to agree. Right? 
Because if you only do something that God says because you also agree with it, you're not obeying, you're just agreeing. Anyone can do that. Right? You're trying to work out, you're trying to get jacked. Your trainer tells you 10 more. Ah, I'm done now. Fuck it. There's no change there, no gains. Nothing's going to be different about you. You're going to remain the same person you always were. Right? But if you want to experience the living God, Jesus Christ, God is found in the path of obedience. But that path has been prepared. You're not going to go along. You're not the first one to do it. You've been prepared. Because this mountain experience after this moment is the descent right after Jesus is being crucified. So after he has this moment, obey him. God says that. The first person to listen to that is Jesus. Because Jesus obeyed the Father and walked down. Down the valley and up the next mountain, Mount Calvary, where he gave his life. So we will be healed and saved. That's what they were talking about. Remember? Moses and Elijah, they were saying, they were talking about his departure. That's a, that's not ideal English translation. The actual word in the Greek, departure, is exodus. And that has a different. If you're familiar with the Jewish story, being slaves in Egypt, Moses and the power of God, Exodus, freed from slavery. They were talking about his Exodus. Because as the voice is telling his followers, obey him, Jesus first obeys. He walks down and up to the cross so that he could provide an Exodus for all of us. Because we're all trapped as slaves for our own sin. We're all trapped to ways of thinking and behavior that do not submit to Jesus. So that obedience is actually really hard for all of us, me included, especially. So we need Jesus. And he dies on the cross to afford us his life and his love. So instead of remaining the mess that we are so chronically make and remake, we have a chance to remain better life with him. But he pays the price, his life. All he offers us is like, hey, why don't you pray? Gather with your friends, follow me, and listen to me. And in that seemingly mundane, boring pattern, my, my presence, I will show up. You don't have to go to a mountain, you don't have to do all this incredible spiritual exercises. Pray, read the Bible with your friends, obey Jesus. Prince and repeat. A child can do it. We do. That's the point. We're all children. <laughs> My friends, the transfigured Jesus stands before us. We give him the choice to see or not to see. I hope and pray that you see him and you follow him every day of your life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise that you reveal to us your holiness and glory. But God, more often than not, instead of bending the knee and following you, we put on sunglasses. We just don't want to see. Help us take off those sunglasses. Help us to see who you really are and help us to submit our lives wholly to you, holding nothing back. We only want to follow you, God. Help us in this, we pray. In the name of Jesus.
Amen.